0: Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365day returns. This episode is brought to you by Great Hearts Academies, a nonprofit network of K-12 public charter schools offering a rigorous classical liberal arts education grounded in the best of the Western tradition. Great Hearts operates 34 academies in Arizona and Texas, serving over 21,000 students with plans for further growth underway. Great Hearts is in search of exceptional school leaders who embrace a classical and liberal philosophy of education, and who possess a well-grounded vision for the moral and intellectual formation of the human person. Learn how you can join a community of classical leaders by visiting GreatHeartsAmerica.org/careers. That's GreatHeartsAmerica.org/careers. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 49, 18 to 34. Today's proverb is unattributed, Though its origin is English. I'll read it twice. Children should be seen and not heard. Once more, children should be seen and not heard. This is a saying that deeply offends our romantic sensibilities. It's one thing to believe that children are innocent, naive, impolite, and that on account of these qualities, children sometimes say hilarious things. These qualities also make a child capable of speaking certain dangerous truths that adults are not willing to say. It's not because adults don't know these things, but because adults are impeded by... Rules of polity, rules of society. The story of the emperor's new clothes comes to mind. It is a child in the end who says the emperor has no clothes. All the adults know it. They're just intimidated to say it. So it's not that the child is wise. But that the child has a certain kind of bravery. Or the child behaves as though brave. How about? Our romantic sensibilities really want children to be sages, though. And that's the role that a child plays in a romantic story. It's the role that many children play in romantic art, paintings. The child is uh, not simply innocent, not simply naive, but a kind of hero, a kind of sage. Children are unreasonable. They are dependent they are not a part of the progress of society and for this reason children were never children were never the sort of people that enlightened philosophers took seriously right the enlightenment prizes rationality control progress autonomy none of which children have And so there's a kind of inherent complaint against children bound up in Enlightened Goals. And of course, this is enough to make children romantic heroes. The romantics love everything that the Enlightenment hates or has no use for. And so a book like, say, Silas Marner, a child is this elvish, impish visionary who can see on a higher plane or has a kind of second sight almost and of course children are occasional exemplars of virtue or they're um, rather uh, metaphors for virtue or paragons of faith in scripture the romantic movement had a profound influence on christianity Christianity felt more at home with the Romantics than with the Enlightenment. And, of course, this might have something to do with the fact that the French revolutionaries beheaded priests and desecrated cathedrals. It wasn't really the Romantics who did this. Romanticism had this profound influence on Christianity to this day. And we see the Romantic influence on Christianity when... Christians speak of a child-centered home. I've lost count of the number of times that I hear teachers in classical schools refer to child-centered classrooms. As though the child is the real focus, the point of emphasis uh, around which adult life centers. If you are involved in education, from time to time you hear people say this, you know, I think I learn more from my students than they learn from me. This is the sort of thing which, if said in front of a large group of people, will typically prompt a few thoughtful moans. Mm. And if anybody were to reply to this, well, you're overpaid. <laughs> if your students are really not learning, as much from you as you are from them. It seems as though the roles are reversed here. Does Christ not teach a student is not above his teacher? But because this passes for wisdom, because this passes as humility, learn more from my students than they learn from me. When we hear children should be seen and not heard, we think That there's something dismissive of children here. Something maybe even exploitative. That this was the sort of thing that was said back when children weren't allowed to go to school. And they had to work for 12 hours a day in, you know, the Ford factory. Or we're offended because there's something about the proverb that strikes us as kind of snooty. As though children should be capable of playing quietly in the other room and leaving the adults alone. And thus there's a complaint that the only sort of person who would say this doesn't have kids, doesn't like kids. And that if you like kids, you want to hear from them all the time. Children should be seen and not heard. I believe this, even though I think my children are funny. I'm sure you think yours are funny too Children should be seen and not heard I believe this even though I've heard My own children give decent answers To questions I ask them at the dinner table Children should be seen and not heard Is not a prohibition of asking your children How was your day? And expecting a sort of Full and robust answer Children should be seen and not heard is true, even though I would also say I'm training my own daughters to be conversationalists. If children are seen and not heard, it means they're listening to the conversation of adults. If they were neither seen nor heard, they would be playing on the lawn. If children were seen and heard, it would mean they were guiding the conversation. But seen and not heard means it is the place of a child to listen to the conversations of adults. If children listen to adult conversations, the topics and themes of adulthood can become common to both children and adults. And this is simply what it means grow up this is simply what it means to mature children can ask when they're listening to adults what's a paycheck what is insurance what is irony what is sarcasm these are the sorts of questions that a child would ask who was paying attention to the conversation of adults and if you require your children to respectfully quietly sit there and listen over the course of dinner or just to be quiet at dinner they're going to start asking questions about the things that the adults talk about. And when they do, nine times out of ten, you are obligated to give them some sort of answer. And I say that while I believe children should be seen and not heard. I wanted to tackle this proverb after I had a series of bizarre encounters with a class of mine over the last month, I suppose, several weeks ago, I asked one of my classes going through Dante, what is poetic justice? And a room full of 15- and 16-year-olds looked absolutely baffled. They claimed, and I'm going to trust them on this, They had never heard of poetic justice. And this was a couple weeks after I asked them if they knew what the aristocracy was or asked what is an aristocrat. None of them knew. Not even a bad guess. I wondered, how did you get to 16 without ever having heard of poetic justice? Not even having a bad guess as to what it is. the more insular a child's world becomes, the more myopic their lens for interpreting the world. The language and the vocabulary and the themes and the interests of older people helps younger people understand the world in a more nuanced sort of way. And maybe maturity is just learning how to speak of the world the way people in the next stage of life do. Now, this is not simply a problem with kids these days. For example, I was frustrated that none of my students had heard of aristocracy. Couldn't believe it. I was upset that they had not heard of poetic justice. But I remember seven or eight years ago, reading Rusty Renault's Fighting the Noonday Demon and encountering the word acedia for the first time. I had never heard the word acedia before. I was like my students who had never heard of poetic justice when I read Renault's article on acedia. What's acedia? Hmm? Never heard that word before. And I fell down this long rabbit hole studying acedia lecturing on acedia some lectures I gave at classical educators conferences on acedia maybe 7 or 8 years ago were an important turning point in my career just understanding what the word acedia meant like a baseline sort of definition and getting a few quotes on it Gave me a new lease on life. I started thinking of everything differently. I started teaching the pursuit of virtue differently. I started teaching the pursuit of virtue. After I understood what acidia was. Before I understood what acidia was, I'm not sure what exactly I was teaching. I was maybe more of just an entertainer before then. Now, I was in my... 30s, when I discovered the word acedia for the first time. And part of me, upon encountering this, part of me said, why did no one tell me this before? Where's this information been my whole life? It would have been helpful to know at the age of 17 that what I thought was the very nature of reality, the kind of dim, hopeless <laughs> nature of reality itself, was in fact just a temptation to a certain kind of spiritual slothfulness. And that reality, the Christian life, was something very different. Where was this information my whole life? I'm asking this question in my 30s. But the answer to this question where was Asidia my whole life? It was right there. Why did nobody? tell me about a city in my 20s? Because I was too busy writing think pieces on Kanye West albums. I was too interested in being heard in my 20s. And when you're interested in being heard, you're not listening. You're not listening to the adult conversation. So children should be seen and not heard is not just... Shut up, little fourth grader It's a sort of principle By which everyone engages With an older generation God knows what other Fascinating, illuminating concepts Words, just words out there Waiting for me to discover Waiting to be defined for me Who knows what else is out there That I haven't heard of yet. Because I'm seated at a kind of... I'm seated at a cultural table where only the children talk. And they shout all the time. That's American popular culture. The children shouting. The adults covering their ears. One of the most telling, terrifying statistics you will ever encounter is not a percentage, it's not even really a number, it's a range it's a number range here's that statistic I used to work for a market research firm doing surveys on the phone I was one of those people and I never sold anything, only asked about ...a range of products and services. I did surveys for politicians, political parties. I did surveys for grocery store companies, frozen vegetable companies, phone companies. I did surveys for everybody. I had this job for a long time. Years. Six, seven, eight years. And at the end, if you've ever taken a survey... ...at the end of every survey about anything... ...frozen vegetables... ...politics whatever, there are demographic questions at the end of every survey. And so there's a few demographic questions that are at the end of almost every survey, one of which is how much school have you completed? And the options are normally something like some high school, graduated high school, some college, graduated college, postgraduate. And these are the ways that we group People by educational background. And there's typically a question about how much money you make. And some ranges there. But then there's a question, how old are you? Which of the following age ranges do you fit in? And I would say somewhere between half and two-thirds of the surveys I ever did, I did thousands of surveys, somewhere between half and a third of all the surveys I ever did. When we got to the question about how old are you or which of the following categories best describes your age? Under 18, 18 to 34, 35 to 44, 45 to 54, etc. 18 to 34. Think about that for a second. That's an age range that people fit into. (laughs) In this country, it makes sense. It makes money if you think of everyone who's between the ages of 18 and 34 as being essentially the same. Same sort of tastes, same sort of desires, same sort of preferences. 18 to 34. Unreal. That's high school seniors in May and 34-year-old fathers are in this country indistinguishable from one another so far as major corporations are concerned. So far as Gillette, 3M, uh, Philip Morris, Nike, Netflix, Budweiser, as far as they're concerned, when you're 34, you're still basically a high school senior. I mean, if you're in your late 20s, you want to say, say, well, I've changed a lot over the last decade. If you say that to the most successful companies in the world, they will respond, yeah, you haven't changed that much. Amazing. Children should be seen and not heard. The longer children are heard, the less they hear, the longer childhood goes on. Right? There is an intimate connection between our refusal to believe that children should be seen and not heard, and the creation of child-centered classrooms, child-centered homes. There's an intimate connection there, with the fact that childhood goes on till 34. If you, if the classroom is really centered around the child, if the home is really centered around the child, what incentive do you have to grow up? <laughs> If you remain in a state of childhood, the world will keep centering around you. We're going to tease childhood out as far as we can. This is just common sense. Have you been in a bookstore in the last 10 years? There's toys for adults now. There's action figures for grown men. Companies that are good at making money. Know that there is money to be made in grouping 18 to 34-year-olds together. I'll spend a moment on this. Go back in your head to when you were 18. From the point you turn 18, you're not expected to change much for the next 16 years. In terms of your preferences, in terms of your tastes, in terms of your psychology... Think of yourself at 18. When I was 18, I was still listening to Korn's Follow the Leader. At 18, I was hiding the fact I smoked cigarettes from my parents. That's what I was like at 18. I could go on. Think of all the things you did between 18 and 34. You went to college. You started dating. You started drinking. You graduated college. You started paying off a massive debt that you owe to your college. You got engaged. You got married. You had your first child. Maybe you had your second child. The average homebuyer, first-time homebuyer in this country, is 32. Through all of that, the most successful companies in the world have learned there is no point in changing the way that they talk to you. Why? Well, because during that time period, you're not really listening to anyone all that much who's older than you. Which means there's no one around to bring up acedia. There's no one around to bring up pusillanimity. Concepts that might make you seriously rethink the way that you live. Imagine if you found out in the future that we weren't asking about 18 to 34 <laughs> imagine that 50 years from now it makes sense for major corporations to ask if you're 18 to 54 or 55 plus what if that's the only division that really makes sense in terms of marketing And that nothing that happened to you up to the point your grandparent really affected you all that much. Like for 18 to 34, to be an age range, you have to be getting very little outside influence. You have to be very self-contained. Or you have to be impervious, impenetrable. By anything outside yourself. You have to be so hypnotized by your own people, your own friends, and your own prejudices. That nothing really gets through. You have to be in a, in a daze and in a lull for a decade plus in order to not really change between 18 and 34. And then something happens at 35. I'd be really fascinated to know what statisticians thought it was. What happens at 35? Maybe that's the age at which you're willing to admit that you need old people. Maybe that's the threshold. That is now the threshold. 35 is the point at which you come to understand that listening to people who are older than you can help you get the things that you want. Your wants have changed, perhaps. You no longer want excitement. By 35, you want stability. And so your mind opens once more. Really, it doesn't open dangerously. It just opens to the people you ought to have been listening to all along. As a teacher, I find it difficult to persuade my students that it will be worth their time to impress adults. So many of them live as though blithely ignorant of the fact that by the time they hit senior year, they're gonna need somebody to write them a letter of reference. They're gonna need somebody to nominate them for various scholarships. Children should be seen and not heard. It's not a complaint against children. It's an exhortation to mind your elders.